Well, today we continue this December series on Advent and this understanding that we're called to encounter God together. I hope you're taking advantage of the Advent guide that we've been providing or have provided. It's a wonderful resource, and if you haven't gotten one for you or your household, you can grab one out at the Resource Center. I know that, uh, that for us, we have had our small group going through this experience as a group, and it's been wonderful. We do have extra copies still available, or you can simply access it online through cccog.com backslash Christmas on our Christmas page. So this morning, we begin week number two within the Advent season, and more specifically within this Advent series. Last Sunday, we looked at the thrill of hope, and we talked about Advent as celebration, not only the celebration of Jesus' arrival, that baby Jesus, but we talked about Advent as anticipation, anticipation of Jesus' return of what we describe as his second coming. This morning we also consider how expectation engages our subject of peace. And so with that, let's pause for a moment and let's pray as we get into our message time. God, we so thank you for the opportunity to be in this place, to gather in this place, both in person, God, for the many who are joining us online and in our watch party at the end of the building, God, we just pray that your spirit would rest upon us today. God, we have learned to not take for granted the opportunity to be together, to worship you, to acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, Lord, in this season of Advent, this special season, we yet again turn our attention to you. May you be present in this time today. May the words that I've prepared, God, be truly the words and the message that you would have us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today our focus and our theme, if you're following in the Advent Guide as well, is the promise of peace. This promise of peace actually points back to a long time before Jesus' birth. In the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Samuel, in chapter 7, we find that God makes a promise to David. This David, as many of you know, is none other than King David of Israel, the successor of King Saul, God's chosen and anointed one. David, the great conqueror, as he had come to be known, was said to be a man after God's own heart. And yet, if you know anything about David's story, you know that he was anything but perfect. In fact, David's life account was rather imperfect. It's a reminder to us of how God use, uses imperfect circumstances, how God uses imperfect people like ourselves to do his will, to accomplish his will. So we have David, the chosen, the anointed one who receives a promise from God. And hear what the Lord says to David through the prophet Nathan there in 2 Samuel 7. I want to encourage you too as we move through this message, whether for those of us in person or online, the number of scriptures we're going to look at and some notes that you might want to take. So you might consider doing that this morning. 
2 Samuel 7, in verse 8, the Lord says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to ruler over my people. God continues in this promise to David when in verse 9 he says that I will make your name great and I will provide for my people. In verse 11 he says I will give you rest from your enemies. In other words, God was promising peace to David. God was promising peace to the Israelite people all the way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before this promised peace, this Christ child would come onto the scene. Note then, historically speaking, the natural progression from promise to prophecy. After all, the many prophecies of the Messiah, the prophecies of this coming Christ child are simply written promises by the prophets. The very prophecies which by their vast number alone, much less their actual accuracy in what they spoke of, validate who Jesus is and what he had come to accomplish. One of those well-known prophecies, and it was referenced here in our video a few minutes ago, is recorded by who we know as the major prophet, not because he's any greater than some of the other prophets, but we have a few major prophets just by the sheer volume of their peace, of their work. The major prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And another of those prophecies recorded by the minor prophet Micah in Micah 5 and verses 4 and 5, he says that he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and he, speaking of the Messiah, that he will be our peace. What I find interesting over time is how the anticipation, even what we spoke of last Sunday, and as we will move into the theme of the anticipation of joy next Sunday, but as we consider that early anticipation of how anticipation fostered a unique expectation. Anticipation that became expectation. It's what theologians refer to as the messianic expectation of the Jewish people. And that expectation of the coming Messiah was clearly to be a conquering king, one who would overrule any authorities that existed at the time, a king that would conquer all other kings, this Messiah. That was the messianic expectation of the Jewish people. You see, there is no denying the oppression that the Jews had faced at the hands of the Romans. Basically, the Jews wanted instant relief and resolution of their present circumstances. That was their expectation of this Messiah. Instant relief and instant resolution of their present circumstances. I mean, who could blame them after all? They had been oppressed 
many years previous in, in the land of Egypt, only to be freed with Moses to wander in the desert for 40 years, to only find themselves much later in history oppressed yet again by Roman rule. Who could blame the Jews for wanting instant relief and resolution of their current circumstances but friends, let's face it for you and for me today. When it comes to seeking peace, are we any different from the Israelites? I mean, really. We don't generally have a quote-unquote process of peace in mind. We don't really want to follow after the, where Paul writes about the long-suffering that is a part of peace oftentimes. We want the instant gratification, right? We want the instant thing now. We don't want to wait. We want a solution to our present circumstances, and we want it instantaneously. This morning, I want us to see that first advent, the coming of Jesus through the lens of God's peace plan, his peace plan that was unfolding in the midst of mankind, the fact that God was keeping his promise through the delivery of his son, this baby Jesus. This word peace is the word shalom. Shalom referring to many things, in part referring to being complete and being whole. Shalom certainly speaks of as well that there would be peace from war and conflict but I think we must understand that principally speaking, shalom, this Hebrew peace, was meaning to be complete, was meaning to be whole. And speaking of peace of Christ, President Advent, I've made this statement before, and some of you might remember it, that peace is not the absence of something, but it's the presence of someone. Peace is not the absence, just if I can just clear up my circumstances, if all this turmoil, if all this conflict can just kind of be smoothed out, then I will have peace. In essence, I'm saying that, that if I can just have an absence of these things, then peace will occur. And I would suggest to you that peace is not the absence of something as much as it is the presence of someone. The presence of Jesus Christ in the midst of our circumstances, of your circumstances. You see, God's peace plan is, in fact, fully enacted at Advent through the arrival of Jesus Christ. The angels proclaimed to the shepherds in Luke's gospel in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels came to proclaim peace to the shepherds, the shepherds who were really probably some of the most unlikely candidates to receive the first word of the birth of the Christ child and how unique those circ circumstances were. But the angel came and said, do not be afraid, for I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people, including you lowly shepherds. For on this day, a child is born, 
And the, and the angels proclaim glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It is in fact the announcement of the arrival, arrival of baby Jesus as recorded in the Luke 2 account. Mary and Joseph in the stable, the angels giving word to the shepherds who are tending their flocks by night out in the fields outside of Nazareth. The arrival of baby Jesus. I wonder, have you ever stopped to consider, apart from these central characters, who knew about this arrival? Who, who knew? Of course, we have the advantage of having this account being recorded in Scripture. So when we open the book of Luke or when we open the gospel of Matthew, we know what we'll find. But I think it's safe to say that simply wasn't the case for the vast majority of people in the world in that day. Might be easy for us to make the assumption, well, it's like, well, well, suddenly then everybody knew in short order of time, and they expected this to happen. Even King Herod, a few miles away in Jerusalem, wasn't even willing to make the trip personally down to Nazareth. He knew from the, from the Magi, the wise men, a later time, of course, we sometimes just kind of equate that all to kind of flowing in the nativity within a number of, or actually on the same night, if you will, but even King Herod did not want to make the effort to go and to see this Christ child and his officials came and told him of what the prophecies had said. But you know, I wonder if we've really considered, we make assumptions when we read the story because we know what's going to happen. I mean, who really knew that this baby Jesus was arriving? And so thus, who would have really thought, it's like, oh great, our anticipated, our expected Messiah has been answered in this lowly baby, right? I mean, it just wasn't public knowledge. The reason that I think it's so important to note this, and the thing I think that really engages for us, is that we must understand this. God's peace plan, if you will, is already well underway, even if you don't know it, see it or recognize it. Hear that again. God's peace plan is already well underway. Even if you don't know it, if you don't see it or recognize it. Consider in the Gospel of John that Jesus' arrival went largely unnoticed. John 1 in verses 10 and following, it says that he, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, of course, this text is not speaking to the moment that Jesus was born as a baby. John writes about a time as Jesus' ministry began that still... So much of the world did not recognize, so much of the world, his own that he had created, did not receive him or did not believe him. God's plan, 
His remedy for needed peace was undoubtedly well underway. In fact, you might say that God's peace plan through the birth of Jesus, the arrival of the Christ child, had been simmering for a number of years. Simmering for quite a number of years. For it was much later, 30 years to be exact, when Jesus as an adult said to his followers here in the Gospel of John, now in verse 14, now in chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus continues in John 16 and 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Friends, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. Friends, this is Jesus, our peace. Jesus, the embodiment of peace. In addressing the human hostilities, the Apostle Paul simply writes in the book of Ephesians 2 and 14, he says, for Jesus Christ, he says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is the embodiment of of peace. Remember, peace isn't the absence of something. It's not just the remedying of circumstances. In fact, I would argue that's generally not the case. It's not the absence of something. Peace is the presence of someone. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. So this reality begs the question, for each of us, do you know his peace? Do you know his peace? Have you or are you presently experiencing the peace that comes with Jesus Christ? See, we typically describe this peace as being multifaceted, both in a moment, peace can be experienced, but also ongoing peace must be engaged. So in this multifaceted description of peace, so often, and I've described it as such before, we describe a peace with God. We talk about a peace that is from God, as well as a peace of God. God. Now, it's certainly just a matter of semantics to some extent, but consider the scriptures that go with it. The peace with God, Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is being described in that peace with God is that there is a reconciling of this relationship. There's a reconciling of the sin that has separated us from him. It's a peace with God that comes when we invite Christ to be in our lives, to be our Lord and Savior. But not only is there a peace with God, there is a peace that is from God. And it references us back to John 16, where we read that Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
If Jesus Christ is the embodiment of peace, if Jesus himself is our peace, then we clearly have a peace that is not somehow, not some peaceful, easy feeling kind of thing, right, in our world and culture, but a peace that is rooted in God, a peace that is from God. But then we also consider the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, when we have reconciled with God, we have a peace with him. When we recognize that in Jesus Christ himself is the peace that we need, we recognize we're not getting that peace from any other, any other um, resource or place. We're getting that peace directly from God. But we recognize too that circumstantially and in our needs and in our petitions, as Paul writes in Philippians 4, 7, that in the midst of that we can have the peace of God which transcends all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Many of you have probably seen this word play before, but I think it's certainly true, and I'll put it on the screen. No God, no peace, right? No God, K-N-O-W, and thus no peace. It's probably a phrase that you've seen before, and yet I think it bears repeating that when there is no God in our, our picture and in our world and our circumstances, we will not have the peace that God wants to give. But when we know him in the context of relationship, then we have the opportunity to truly know peace. As followers of Jesus, our mandate is clear within Scripture. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 3.11, he says that they must seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. What I hear Peter saying is that it starts with seeking peace from and with God, and then it's about promoting and upholding peace in every area of our lives as well as in our world. Seek peace and pursue peace, both something that is maybe attained in a moment, but something that we continue to pursue, to live by, and that we also convey through our life to those around us. Ask yourself this question, is my life pro proclaiming and producing peace? Is your life, are your actions proclaiming peace? Is your life producing peace? I'm leading a group here from CCCOG through the book of James on Wednesday evenings. We're a little over halfway through this short and yet very powerful book of James in the New Testament. Last Wednesday in our discussion in James 3.18 was this scripture. It says that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We know that if we're a follower of Jesus that we're called to be peacemakers, it's part of the Beatitudes we find in Matthew chapter 5. It's a reoccurring theme in Scripture that we are called to be people of peace and do whatever we can to be at peace with those around us. Sometimes that peace does include long-suffering and patience and forgiveness and humility. 
But James says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Friends, I don't know about you, but reaping a harvest of righteousness sounds pretty good. If we're willing to pursue peace, then we can reap that harvest of righteousness. May our lives bring about the righteousness that God desires first in us and then out into our world. This Advent season, let's continue to live out that promise of peace. Amen? Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, we come to you today. And Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of peace embodied in your Son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our peace. The promises which extend all the way back through the prophecies, God, through the telling of the Christ child to come, is validation, is evidence, Lord, that this has been your plan to bring your son to redeem us. This is your peace plan, that we might make peace with you, God, that we might experience the peace that only comes from you. God, what a relevant subject this is when it seems like we're dealing with circumstances in life of so much unrest of so much uncertainty, of such unpeaceful thoughts and feelings. God, may you flood your peace into our lives. May we be assured of this promise of peace, not just for those who, were foret who foretold of that and knew of it long ago, but in our present day. May your peace rest upon us, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.